did take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at, start looking in verse number 17. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 17. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which was it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for a refuge to laid hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have. Now, notice verse number 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Notice that statement, within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to notice something. Tonight's study should get you a little excited. You ought to be excited about being saved and things. Many people in our world today live what I call hopelessly. Man, people don't have much hope. Do you know, if you, if you think about it, a person who is lost... All they have to live for is what's here on earth. I got to thinking today, I guess I've been focused on eternity so long, sometimes I forget there's earth. You go through a kidney stone, you realize how mortal you really are. And then you realize, yeah, back to earth, here we go. Uh, And uh, you just have to understand that we live with hope. It's no wonder the lost world is so hopeless. All they have is what's here. And yet God gives us faith and hope. And he says in verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, I want you to notice something. An anchor is something that keeps you secured. If you're out fishing in a boat and you drop your anchor, it's to keep you in place. Keep the tides and the waves from pushing you too far off of where you would want to be. And it's there to hold you in place. And God says your faith and your hope will hold you secure. It's going to hold you still. And God tells us that that hope comes, verse number 19, into that which entereth into the veil. Now, listen to me carefully. That hope is what separates real Christianity from religion. That uh, real hope separates us, and please don't take this in a, I'm not trying to be mean, though I can do that, uh, but from denominationalism. Well, you've got to do all these different things, and hopefully that will merit you your salvation. Oh, no, 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 no. It's secure. It's steadfast. You get saved, you're on your way to heaven. Uh, I forget when, but weeks and weeks and weeks ago, I did a radio broadcast. I don't know if it's been aired yet or not, but I I taught on uh, salvation a little bit in the radio broadcast. And I was nailing it pretty hard. Can can I tell you why? Because it's not a hope-so thing, it's a for-sure thing. 
It, it's not a, it's not something that we do. It's kind of like, uh, religion is trying to start a car by moving the fan. Or trying to use a spark plug to start the car. No. You put the key in the ignition and turn the ignition and all the systems begin to work themselves. And that's exactly what salvation is. The gospel is the key. You put it in the ignition and you turn it. You have to be the one to turn it though. Once you turn it, you're, you're running. And it's not our job to judge whose car's running and whose car's not. We just have to give them the gospel. Everybody doing okay? Uh, now, uh, it kind of piggybacks off the last three Wednesday night Bible studies, but you'll see what I mean here in just a moment. There was only one high priest at a time from the time of Moses to Jesus. There was one high priest at a time. By the way, I, I, and I'll say it again a little bit later, that was not a religious position, it was a political position. And I'll show you exactly why I say that again in a moment. The high priest was the human head of the Hebrew government who would then meet with God face to face in the Holy of Holies for instruction and for approval for the nation of Israel. That happened one time a year. That's it. Just as there was only one high priest at a time, we only have one president at a time, and we've been three years without one. Uh, the high priest was the only one that could do the work inside what was called the Holy of Holies. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on. He, represent, or he uh, represented and spoke on behalf of the Hebrew nation as a whole to God, and God spoke to him, to the Hebrew nation, as, as well. You see, God wanted to lead the Hebrew nation. God wanted to be the leader politically and every other way to the Hebrews. Now, the high priest worked directly with God, and the rest of the priests were the government workers that took care of what the high priest and God dealt with. Now, watch this. You say, well, preacher, what about all the sacrifices and all the offerings and all those things? Those were like paying taxes. Those were like paying citations. You speed and get a ticket or get picked up by the police and get ticketed with a citation for some whatever reason. You're going to pay a penalty for it, and that has to be paid to the government. That's exactly what the sacrifices were for. Uh, now, and that kept the government workers fed. It kept them cared for. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but let me say this. God wanted a holy government. Not a holy religion, a holy government for a holy separated people called the Hebrews. Now, God did not start a religion. Now, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. I'll use it. Uh, I'll use this statement, the throne room, so to speak, of God. He could only go in one time a year. And that was with a blood sacrifice 
to represent the atonement of sin for the nation of, uh, of the Hebrews that one time a year. That meant this, that the blood cleansed the people and God accepted that and he would continue to be their God. And the Shekinah glory would come down, fill the Holy of Holies, and God would speak to the high priest there. Now, uh, it was all to be done inside that little place called the Holy of Holies. Now, between the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies, there is something called the veil. The veil was a giant curtain. Um, some of you went to public schools, most of you did. You'll know what I mean by this. Remember when in the gymnasiums in the old public schools they had those big heavy curtains? They, and you, you know, you used to run and grab a hold of them when you were little. You know, how many of you, you know, you, yeah, a bunch of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about when the teachers weren't looking. Uh, anyway, uh, the Holy of Holies though had curtains like that, except those would be very thin compared to this. The curtain in the Holy of Holies was, uh, they called it a handbreadth. It's about three and a half to four inches wide. Can you imagine sewn fabric four inches thick? How sturdy and how rugged and how heavy that must have been. It was so heavy that it had to be supported with four pillars. There were four pillars in the tabernacle. In the temple, they only had two pillars because that was put on a more of a concrete foundation. You have to remember the tabernacle was portable. It had to be set up on uh, uneven ground, so to speak. So it had to have a little bit more stability when it was temporary than when it was on a permanent foundation. But on uh, in the tabernacle, there were four pillars that actually held it up similar to these. And you would have four of those holding on to it with a uh, giant steel and uh, uh, gold-covered, basically, uh, rod, and it was attached to that, but they were attached to those uh, big, tall pillars to hold it up because it was so heavy. One time a year, the high priest could go in. He had to go underneath that veil into the Holy of Holies. Anyone who went in the wrong way or anyone who was not the high priest that went in, God killed them immediately. There was no second chance. One of the things about the priestly garments, the high priest had bells that were on the bottom of his garments. And the purpose of those bells were because if they didn't hear the high priest in there moving around, They would stick like a big giant shepherd's crook in there, grab a hold of him, and if he didn't pull back on it, then they pulled him out because that meant he was dead. If they didn't hear those bells moving around every once in a while, they wondered if he was still alive. And if they went in to get him, they are going to die. They had to go in and hook him and pull him out. That's how serious it was. Now, listen to me very carefully here. Here is the truth. I'm about to shout. The high priest's job was inside the veil. Our job is outside the veil. 
You see, only the high priest could work in here. It was every priest and every person's job out here. So we're not to be doing the work of the high priest. That's Jesus' job. Did you know if you let Jesus do his job and you do your job, everything works out better? Let me show you what I mean. It was his job to put the blood on the mercy seat. It was his job to make sure all of the sacrificing was done appropriately representing Christ. It was his job to apply that and it was the high priest's job to make sure all that was available and God would accept it. It's not your job to take your sacrifice and put it on the mercy seat. It is not your job to earn your own righteousness. It is not your job to do the things that the high priest was supposed to do. You do the things you're supposed to do outside the veil. Let the high priest do his job inside the veil. Now, I'm about to get excited. You see, if sinful man were the only one allowed inside there, we have no hope. You say, well, the high priest did go in. Yes, but we have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek who is eternal in the heavens in the glory, no beginning, no end. And he went into the Holy of Holies in heaven. He went inside the veil in the Holy of Holies in heaven and he separated it and God accepted the eternal sacrifice for our sin. May I say something? Our hope is within the veil, not outside the veil. Now, because he was also our lamb, he was also our high priest. Now, if you doubt the priesthood was government, listen to me very carefully. Let's look at the millennial kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus will sit as king of kings and high priest on the throne in Jerusalem. We're not coming back to establish a religion. We're coming back to establish a world government. Everybody doing okay? Did you know people will be lost when we start? Did you know not everyone that will be on earth will get saved even during the millennium? Because it's not about religion, it's about government. Now, I believe we'll see people being saved because there'll be many lost people there. And there'll be many people born in a thousand years. Think of how many people could be born of let's say 200 million or two, uh, let's see, two billion people or more in a thousand years. Everybody doing okay? So that means people are going to have to get saved, otherwise, they're not going to heaven. Everybody doing okay? Now hang on. But we are coming to establish a government, not a religion. Now, with Jesus as king, I think we're going to have a higher percentage of people saved. They'll enjoy what the king is doing. Now, Jesus is inside the veil, and he will never fail. 
How many of you think, because Jesus is God, that he can take care of his work on his own? Raise your hand. I do too. So then why are we worried about what's going on in there? How about we concern ourselves with what's going on out here? Too many of us want to do his job. We're sinners. We can't. We don't qualify. You see, (laughs) he will be there eternally. And there will be no need of another high priest. That's why he's after the order of Melchizedek, because he is eternally the high priest. Not only that, he'll be our king. Now, let's, let me explain this in, in a little bit more detail, and it will help you. Let me describe the tabernacle, and somewhat it's set up the same way in the temple. You have to remember the tabernacle was like a, a portable building, a, a big canvas-type tent, but it was more elaborate than just a tent. Everybody look at me. You have to understand something. This had to be able to be moved all around and be cared for. Now, you had the actual structure itself. Then you had a, a wall of tenting that went all the way around it. And it had an area outside of the actual structure called the courtyard. Just like we have the building here and we have the parking lot. Does that make sense to everybody? There's more area than just the building. And that was true with the tabernacle. Outside in the courtyard, everybody in the nation of Israel could come to the courtyard. You had the ability to go to the tabernacle and go to the courtyard, but your ability to go to the courtyard stopped at the door of the actual tabernacle. What's out here in the courtyard? That's where you brought your sacrifices. That's where you brought your offerings. Out here, there was two pieces of furniture. You had the laver, which was a golden laver. It was like a, uh, a giant sink basin, so to speak. And they would wash themselves. They would clean the uh, sacrifices. And cl- uh, they, that's how they kept everything clean. Like when you're butchering, you gut them out and you clean them, get the blood out and get the guts out and make sure everything's clean and things. Then out there also, past that, you had a place that had the actual place where they did the burnt sacrifices, the altar. You would take the cleaned animal that had been sacrificed, burn it upon the altar, and certain sacrifices, the priests were able to pull meat off of that as it was cooking to be used for the priests. Make sense to everybody? They had giant butcher stations out there. It was kind of like a giant uh, butcher shop out there. And all the people in the congregation could come there. That's where they brought their things. But they couldn't go any farther than that. Then you have the actual structure of the tabernacle. When you go inside the tabernacle, uh, it, it was a little bit different. And you have to understand something. It was called the holy place. The first part of that, the first two-thirds of it, was called the holy place. All of the priests could go into the holy place. You didn't have to be the high priest All the government workers could go in. 
but none of the congregation. It was a place separated. There was three pieces of furniture inside the holy place. As you walked in, on the right-hand side, there was a table there. It had 12 large loaves of bread that were baked fresh every day. Amen. And put on top of that uh, sourdough and pumpernickel and uh, cinnamon raisin. And uh, Anyway, let's pray and go eat. I mean, I mean uh, but on that table, there were 12 loaves of bread put fresh every day. The priests were the ones that were allowed to eat from that. Those that were out working came in to eat bread, add it to the meat and the other things that they had out there. On the left-hand side, you had the golden candlestick that had the 12 branches representing the 12 nation or the 12 tribes of Israel. It was, they were filled with oil and the lamp was never to go out. It's what lit the holy place. That's why in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel's sons were corrupt. They weren't even saved, working as priests. And they, the air, the lamp of God was about to go out. God said, Samuel, wake up. That's when God called Samuel to go in and do the adult's job and make sure that the oil was in the lamps to make sure that the light did not go out in the tabernacle or in the temple. Make sense to everybody? Then you got here. This is where the veil would be. And right in front of the veil, there was something called the altar of incense. That had fresh coals put upon it on a regular basis. There was a certain mixture of spices that God gave the priests. And they were to uh, keep those spices burning on that altar of incense as a representation of the prayers of the people going up and God hearing them. And it was a sweet smell because God, fellowshipping with man, was a sweet-smelling savor to God. He wanted it to smell good inside the holy place and remind him of the sweet fellowship he wanted with the Hebrew nation. So, out in the courtyard, everybody. The laver, the altar. This is where all the business was done. Inside, table of showbread, candlestick, altar of incense, and the veil. Now, what went on on this side only happened one time a year. There was one piece of furniture with three components on it. That's all it was. It was a tiny little room about half the size of this platform. And in that was a box about the size of the Lord's Supper table, a little bit wider and about the same length. And that box was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had a lid. He lifted it open, and inside of that had the tables of stone that had God's finger that wrote the law, gave the blueprints and everything that was necessary that he and Moses did on Mount Sinai. The actual tables of stone that God wrote with his finger were inside that Ark of the Covenant. There was a golden pot that had manna left over from the 40 years of the wilderness from the first day that it was taken, put in there, showing God's provision and Jesus is the bread of life. Then 
Aaron's rod that had budded was there, and they placed Aaron's rod in there because it was a picture of the resurrection. It was dead and then came back to life. Now, that's the lower part of the furniture. On top of that was a seat, a chair. It was called the mercy seat. It was like a throne so to speak. It sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. On either side of the mercy seat, there was a cherubim on one side and a cherubim on the other facing in towards the seat. They had six wings each. Two went down, two went back, two went up. This one was facing the opposite direction, but the same thing with the wings, and they faced the mercy seat. And the high priest, one time a year, was allowed to go in. He had to go out to the courtyard, wash himself from head to toe in the laver. He then would take a sacrifice, cut its throat, and drain the blood and put it in a basin. Grab a hyssop weed. He would then go in through the courtyard into the holy place. He would pass the table of showbread. He would pass the candlestick. He would step to the side of the altar of the incense and he would get on his hands and knees and he would go under that thick, heavy veil. As he got to the front of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, he was to take that hyssop weed that he had and dip it in that blood, sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Listen to me. And he would do that for the atonement of the sins of the Hebrew nation for that year. At that point, God himself, the Shekinah glory of God, would come down. He would fill the room and sit on the mercy seat in the presence of the high priest. He could not see him, though it was bright as day. The cloud filled the room to... Basically, fog it out to where, because God could not look at man without man dying because of our sinfulness. Listen to me very carefully here. God and the high priest would talk and God would accept the sacrifice. That high priest would, after done speaking with God, would leave that holy of holies and he would come back under the veil. He would walk back through the holy place. He would step outside the door of the congregation and he would lift his hands and he would say, it is finished. May I say something? Jesus one day walked Calvary's hill. He was our lamb. They sacrificed him. He died as our sacrifice. He was buried and resurrected the third day. And do you remember when Mary saw him and she was about to hug him? And he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go tell my brother and I'll meet you in the upper room. You go tell everybody else and I'll meet you at church tonight. He left there, went to heaven, Hebrews chapter 8, and put his blood from his hands and his side on the very mercy seat. In the tabernacle of heaven. You know one day. When we get to heaven. We're going to see the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash 
away my sin? Nothing but the blood. It wasn't the blood that was shed, it was the blood that was applied. It wasn't the blood that trickled into the foot of the cross, it was the blood that he took from his side and his hands and put it on the mercy seat. And he sits at the right hand of the Father today and says, Father, blood's on the mercy seat, Evan Barnes isn't a sinner. I took care of it for him. Now we know he's a sinner, believe me, we know Evan Barnes is a sinner. Can I tell you something? But the blood's on the mercy seat, Brother Barnes, and it's cared for past, present, and future. Now watch this. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Well, go back to uh, Exodus chapter 26. Hang on. Let me show you some things about this thick curtain called the veil. Exodus 26. We're only going to look at a few verses here, so don't worry. Exodus chapter 26, look at verse number 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars, shittimwood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver. Thou shalt hang up the, the veil under the tatches uh, that thou mayest uh, bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And thou shalt put the table on the north side. And thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent of blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine twine linen wrought of needlework. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. God told us exactly how it was supposed to be set up. Go to Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36, look at verse number 35. And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cherubims made he it with, of cunning work. And he made thereunto four pillars of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and uh, he cast for them four sockets of silver. And he made and hanging for the tabernacle door of blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine twine linen and of needlework. And the five pillars of it with their hooks and overlaid their chapiters uh, with the fillets of, with gold. But their five sockets were of brass. That's talking about the outer door. Now notice that the two matched up. What God told them to do, they made it exactly like it was supposed to be. Now, <laughs> turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm about to shout. Then verily, look at verse number 1. The first covenant had also ordinances of divine service, a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the, show, uh, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. By the way, <laughs> the sanctuary, that's not the church auditorium. Not at all. And the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. 
which had a golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and tables uh, of the covenant and over it the cherubims of the glory shadowing upon the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle. That's the holy place. Accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Do you know what the word manifest means? Made into flesh. Being brought into flesh. Jesus was made manifest in Bethlehem's manger. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. In other words, those sacrifices could not save anybody. Nobody was ever saved by the blood of bulls, goats, and uh, turtle doves, and any other critter that was sacrificed. Those had nothing to do with salvation. Now, I did not read this for, for reasons many, number one of which is time. But go to Leviticus 26 very quickly. Do you remember me talking about the high priest going in once a year? I'm going to, I want you to mark Leviticus chapter 26. I'm going to read a couple verses maybe, but let me explain it to you. You can come back and read it later. Look at me so I know that I'm talking to you once you get there. Leviticus 26 talks about when the high priest would make the sacrifice to take into the Holy of Holies once a year. Can I... I'm about ready to come unscrewed right now. What they would do is they would separate two perfect lambs, made sure that they had all their teeth, no scars, no marks, no mars. One, they would take, cut its throat, catch all the blood they could, and they would take blood and put it on the head and back of one of them. And that one that was still alive, they would take it outside the congregation of the camp and let it loose. It was called the scapegoat. It was the living sacrifice. It took the blood from the dead one to put on that one, and nobody was allowed to catch it, nobody was allowed to kill it. It had to be let go free. But the high priest would then take the rest of that blood and go into the Holy of Holies with it. I want you to know that sin atonement came from the scapegoat. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The only living sacrifice in the entire Bible is that scapegoat. That's a picture of you and me. Because it took the blood of Jesus Christ applied to us to set us free. 
When you got saved, the blood of Christ was placed on you and you were set free into this world. That's exactly what salvation is. You read Leviticus 26 later. I'm not going to read it because I've got to get to the rest of this sermon. And I want to try to get us out on time. All that was point number one. But I only have two points and no poem, so we're safe. Point number two. Now, now, now it's time to shout. Point number two. At Calvary, when Jesus died, the veil was rent. From top to bottom. Why? Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Say, preacher, yeah, I get emotional. Can I tell you why? I don't have to burn in hell because of this mess. Matthew chapter 27, look at verse number 51. Look at verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried, again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That means he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now look at me. God put words in the Bible exactly the way he wanted them. Notice that the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Man could not reach it from top down. He could only reach it from bottom up. Man did not tear the veil. God did. Turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Look at verse number 38. The Bible says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Well, there was an earthquake going on, preacher, so uh, that, that caused it to separate. No, because it ran from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom up. We won't turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 45, but it says, And the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. We started there. Hebrews chapter 6. Which hope... We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is entered, uh, us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. My friend, when Jesus at Calvary died as our lamb and set us free, he went into the veil of the tabernacle of heaven, I'll show you in just a minute, and put his blood on the mercy seat. God said, there's no more need for the temple or the tabernacle because Jesus took care of it. No more need of a priesthood. Matter of fact, God says to the Christian, you are a royal priesthood. Huh. Turn Matthew or Hebrews chapter eight. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter eight. 
Why do we have such a sure hope? Why do we have uh, an anchor for our soul? Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the what? That's this holy place, not the holy of holies. The sanctuary. And the, of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example of the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. Guess what? God pulled back the veil of heaven and Moses got to see the tabernacle in heaven. He got to see it in full color. He wasn't colorblind like me. And this one was made after the likeness of that because God would come down once a year and dwell in that tabernacle for a little while to lead the Hebrew nation. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read three or four verses. I'll make a couple statements and I'm done. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 19. (laughs) Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the what? Holiest, that's the holy of holies, by the what? Blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the, say it, veil. That is to say, his flesh. Why was the veil rent? Because Jesus' flesh was the veil for us that made the Holy of Holies accessible to us. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, not having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, he said, we don't need the tabernacle, we don't need the temple, you got the church. And Jesus took care of the veil in the temple because we rent his flesh. Now watch this. Our job is not inside the veil, that's his job. Our job's out here. Our job's doing the work of God. Our job is distributing the message of God. Our job is not to be the holiest of all. He already took care of that for us. We can't earn our own righteousness. We just trust it as our Savior. And that gives us sure and steadfast hope. You have no right to do Jesus' job because we're sinners. He covered it for eternity. 
we don't qualify. We do qualify to stay outside the veil. But thank God he broke the veil down and we got direct access to him. What an amazing truth. Too many religions are trying to do the work inside the veil. He already did it. We can't do it. We have to stay outside the veil while he stays inside the veil. By the way, he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the majesty on high. I, I'll say it again. I wouldn't fight you over it, but I believe the true tabernacle in heaven is the throne room of God. Where God the Father sits on the mercy seat in heaven. Hebrews 8, other places. Say, why is it so important, preacher? Because too many people are trying to take Jesus' job, and we don't have to. He's in there taking care of it for us. Let's just stay out here doing our job. He's within the veil. Let's stay without the veil and do our job. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You probably learn more about your own salvation tonight than many will ever learn in their whole life. Many of you learned about the love of God in a new and unique way. Let me ask you a question. Are you doing any work outside the veil? Are you doing anything? He's done it all for us in the veil. It's our turn to do something outside the veil.